Right quick, please remember that starting this week, CWC, we will have no Wednesday night uh, uh, classes at all for the entire month of July, all right? Um, July, we're, we dismiss our Wednesday nights, and we've done this for years. I'm just reminding you because of youth camps and our district convention, okay? So this whole month, don't come on Wednesday unless you want to go out to services at the campgrounds. And if you do that, you will be blessed, okay? Now, the other thing is is that Sunday services remain the same. You don't change anything on that, okay? Everybody got that clear? All right, open with me to, to the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 2, verse 7. And I'm going to try to get through this because we've got time to do it, I hope. Praise God. I missed you all last week. Revelation chapter 2. This is actually verse 7. Verse 11, verse 17, verse 29, chapter 3, verse 6, 13, and 22. So this is repeated seven times. It's probably worth listening to, right? It's probably worth making note of if God is going to repeat himself seven times with the same verbiage. I'm thinking, yeah, that's kind of important. So with that said, our text says, whoever has ears... Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever's got them, use them, because God's speaking. So far, in our series on the Revelation, and our micro-series on the seven, we've learned... But I've already reiterated to you this morning, one, how God approaches us, and we've also learned what God expects of us. This week, in part four of our uh, series within a series, we're going to learn what God is saying to us. For your, perp- for your benefit over here to my right, um, I have said it multiple times since this series on the Revelation started, and I'll say it again just for your listening pleasure. Um, We handle the revelation of Jesus Christ quite differently than we handle every other book in the Bible. We preach every other book in the Bible. We study the revelation. It is what it is. But I am of the opinion that there are words from God in the revelation of Jesus Christ that apply to us just like the rest of the Bible does. Okay, I'm convinced of that. So what... We're going to do now as we close out chapters 2 and 3 in this study uh, what God is saying to us. Our text here, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our text is a sevenfold statement. It is a call. That's what it is. It's a call. If you've got ears, you need to use them. He's calling to his churches. To any and to all among the blood-washed redeemed on earth that inhabit the kingdom of God through the church of Jesus Christ. This uh, This call is to whoever has ears. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The recipients of this call, 
We would like to say, and we would be comforted to say, that all, everybody involved in the seven churches had ears. But it's worthy of note right here. (laughs) That this call is to those within the church. These aren't to sinners, right? Remember what, chapters 2 and 3, if you have a Bible, and Lord knows anymore, lots of people are not carrying a Bible, they're carrying a phone. And that's fine, provided that when you have your phone open in front of you in church, you're open to your Bible app and not to the scores on SportsCenter. If you are in church, listen to me carefully, if you are in church and you have your phone, and your foe following along, looking, oh, so very spiritual, but you're actually open to Sports Center, you don't have ears. You have no ears. And you are not hearing him. Or whatever the app. I don't care what app it is. I don't care if you're on Facebook. I got a, I got a, a text from a friend the other day to go to Facebook, and I, he sent me a link, and I hit the link, and it asked me to log into Facebook. I said, I can't look at whatever it is you want me to do, because I don't go to Facebook. I don't Facebook. Now, that's archaic and dinosauric. I understand that. I totally get it. And I know that cool pastors have all kinds of social media. I'm not cool. And everybody goes, well, we knew that. Both the seven, at the writing of these epistles, this, this was written, this statement, if you can hear me, as I put it two weeks ago, if you can hear me, listen to what I'm telling you. That call is to the church, not to the lost. It goes out both to the seven at the time of the writing of these epistles to those seven churches, but it also goes out to the church throughout history as well. That means you and I. That, if you've got ears to hear me, listen, that's to us too, not just to these seven. Okay? Why is that important? Why is it important that it's going out to the church and not to the lost? Why is it important that that statement, whoever has ears, let him hear what I'm saying, went out to the seven, but it's also going out to us, but it's not going out to the lost. Why is that important? Well, it's really simple. It's important based on how this call is stated. You see, this call is stated in its statement. It is also inferred that not everyone in the church has the ability to hear the voice of the Spirit of God. That not everyone has ears that can hear the voice of the Spirit. It's inferred. He says, whoever has ears. I want you to notice something very important. He did not say, hey, everybody, listen to what I'm saying. He didn't say that. And he also didn't say, listen up, everyone. He didn't say that. He qualified the hearer. He said, whoever has ears. And I reiterate, the inference here is that not everybody in the church 
hears the voice of the Spirit of God. Which is a very dangerous place to be in, incidentally. It's extremely dangerous to be in church and incapable of hearing God's voice. That's a sketchy place to be. The implications of people not having ears is painfully, painfully obvious. There are people within the borders of the church that attend church, that worship in church, and that serve in the various capacities, but do not hear his voice. Listen now. Listen very carefully. These people... They live life in a relative morality without living in complete sanctity. These floors are carpeted and you could still hear a pin drop in here. You, if you doubt what I'm saying, read chapters 2 and 3. Just read them. You don't have to believe me. I... I I've got proof right here. They live in relative morality. They're good church-going folk. But their lives are not sanctified completely because they don't hear Him. And it's not a simple decision to sanctify your life. You have to hear Him. For the same reason that the seven needed Him to speak to them individually... You need to hear the voice of the Spirit of God speak to you specifically. You, your name, your address, your actions. You need to hear him speak to you. How, how specific did he get with the seven? Well, first of all, he called them out by name, introduced himself, then read to them what they were doing, and then turned around saying, but we've got some problems. And he read their mail. That's what he does to us. And if we can't hear him, well, we don't get the benefits of that conversation, do we? Nope, we don't. Okay. Is it any wonder, since they live in a relative morality but not a complete sanctity, is it any wonder that the majority of the seven had such issues with sin? Is it any wonder... The Bible says, listen now, this is coming out of John 16. The Bible says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Okay, so what are the reverse engineered implications there? That if you can't hear him, that if you don't have ears to hear, are you going to be led into all truth by him? Remember the eunuch riding along in his little chariot? And all of a sudden, one of the disciples is just bounced there by God. And, what you doing? I'm reading the Bible, but I don't understand it. That's the people who don't have ears. That's it. He will not speak on his own. He will not speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will tell you what is yet to come. Unfortunately, unfortunately for those who cannot hear, the Bible also says this. Now remember what we're talking about here. People who live in their own self-imposed, 
self-imposed, relative morality, going to church, serving in church, worshiping in church, living this Christianity that they've created in their own mind because they can't hear Him. They can't be shaped and formed. You see, the, the doctrine of sanctification to the Pentecostal Church of God, which is what we are, we're Pentecostals. The doctrine of sanctification is a twofold work. It's an instantaneous work that occurs upon salvation. You are set aside for the peculiar use of God upon salvation. You are instantly sanctified. But at the same time, sanctification is also what's known as a progressive work. It means as long as you live, God is going to be moving and shaping you into what the Bible calls the image of the Son of God. To change you from what you are into who He is. See, it's one thing to get... How many of you have been around a brand new baby Christian who was a rank heathen when they got saved? How many of them still acted like a rank heathen? When, yeah, there you go, right? Perfect example. Our DYD. I could have him stand up right now and take the rest of the morning to testify and you'd be like, say, what? But they don't know how to act... Because they were set aside like the man on the cross next to Jesus who said, Lord, remember me. He was instantly sanctified and taken. He didn't have any time for the progressive work. But you and I, we're running around in shoe leather, breathing. We have time. How many of those people who got saved... Who are rank heathens. I mean just. And still praise the, praise the Lord in church with flowery superlatives known as cuss words. How many, they don't know better. They haven't been shaped. If they died right there, God would take them to Him. But if they lived on and on and heard Him, He would shape them and change them. The problem is how many of those poor people were never brought into the fold, accepted, and walk away, backs, what we call backslid, and say, God never did anything for me. Well, it wasn't that God didn't do anything for you. He sent His Son to die, be buried, and rose from the dead for you. He sent His, His Spirit to inhabit you and to fill you, and He got you to an altar. He did all of that for you. It's just that you never developed ears to hear. Okay, my short sermon is now really long. For that I apologize. Not really. And the problem is, is that it's unfortunate... For those who cannot hear, the Bible also says something else. It says this, there's a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. And we got folk living in our churches within the borders of the church who do not hear. 
do not hear the voice of God because they do not have ears to hear, who are living in a self-constructed Christianity and a self-imposed relative morality without sanctity, and they are sitting there doing what they do day in and day out without hearing the voice of God, seeking to change them. Revelation 3 and 20 says, I stand at the door and knock. That was to a church, not to someone who was lost. And they live that way. When we, without hearing the voice of God through His Holy Spirit, because we have not ears to hear, set our own life's course based merely on our own personal sense of what is right, without the guidance of the Spirit of God, sin is an inevitability. It's going to happen. And when we sin without the urging of the Spirit of God to repent, we, being deaf to Him, are destined to die in our sin. Now, if you're Baptist persuasion, and I am making no hits here, that does not work for you. Okay? I've never been Baptist. I've been Catholic. And frankly, all I have to do is pray to Mary, so that's that. Okay, I got one good laugh over here and one good laugh over here. However, that all sounds very dismal, very dark. What a bummer. But the Bible also says this in 1 John. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, if you want to know what this is in that text, just turn back one chapter to 1 John chapter 1. Read the entire chapter. There's no mistaking what this is, okay? He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. It's important that he added righteous one in there because we need a righteous advocate to go before the Father on our behalf. He can't be Jesus Christ. He's okay. No, he has to be the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Look, we do, how many of you do things that are wrong, and, and you have the Holy Spirit come to you and say, <clears throat> Look, cowards, raise your hands. How many of you all do that? You all do that? You all do that? I know I do that, but I'm the pastor. He comes to me and says, you know, we have to work on that. And, he, and I'm convi- remember a couple of lessons ago, uh, he convicts me, right? He convicts me. How many of you have ever been convicted? Man. Whew. He convicts me, and I say, Lord, change me. I'm sorry, change me. Make me something new. Make me something different. Guys, that's where advocacy kicks into overdrive. I'm telling you right now. All right, moving on. So, let's move on from this. Let's, whoever has ears, whoever has ears, this call, what call? The call, uh, um, whoever has ears, this call was to all seven of the churches. Now let me read it with both the NIV and the MWB. Incidentally, the MWB translation, that's me, Michael William Bedard. 
This is what it says. Whoever has ears, if you can hear me, let them hear. Listen to what I'm telling you. What the Spirit says to the churches. Now, when we read that, I don't know about y'all or y'all or any of you. But to me, that automatically begs a question. What exactly was the Spirit trying to say to the churches? Does, does, does that hit you too? You're like, uh-uh. It's okay. It hit me. I'll convey what he said to me. What exactly was he telling them? If, if, if you have ears, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's he saying? Well, in order to grasp this, and it's not complicated in the least, but in order to answer that question, in order to grasp it, we have to remember our previous two lessons. How many of you have a hard time remembering one Sunday to the next? Go ahead. It's all right. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I've had some of y'all fall asleep on me in service. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Okay? The first thing we learned, remember, and I've already said it, how God approaches us. And the second thing we learned is what God expects of us. How does God approach us? How does God approach us? God approaches his children through his incomprehensible, immeasurable love. That's how God approaches us. God doesn't approach us by storming down the hallway, ticked off at you. That's not God approach. God's approach is through his immeasurable, incomprehensible, unfathomable love. That's how he approaches us. What does God expect of us? The second thing. What is it? In light of the love, in point one, he expects us to repent. And why does he come to us in love, teaching us and exposing to us what he did in chapters 2 and 3 of the Revelation in our own lives? Why? Because he's unwilling to leave us the way we are. That's why. He comes to us in love, and he, he, he expects us to repent. So, that's how we have to go into figuring out what exactly was the Spirit saying to the churches. That is the great qualifier. What was he saying? He was telling them this. This is the thing that he is telling us. Listen. To the one who is victorious. Wow. He's trying to tell us to the one who is victorious. Interesting side note. The one who is victorious is also the one who has ears. Okay. What does that mean to the one who is victorious? What does that mean? In essence. In essence. In the epistles to the seven, the Lord was saying, listen now, very carefully, see if this applies to you. He said this to the seven, I know who you are, I know where you are, I know what you've done, and I know what you're doing. For most of you, listen careful, for most of you, there are issues that must be addressed. 
and sins that must be repented of. For a couple of you, hold on. And then he said, after he said all that, to each one, to each one, he said this, if you can hear me, because I know who you are, I know where you are, I know what you've done, and I know what you're doing. If you can hear me, listen to what I'm telling you. Grasp this. Sink your teeth into this. The one who is victorious. In saying that, the one who is victorious. In saying that, he's essentially saying what he told Moses so long ago. He said in Deuteronomy 31, he said, Be strong and courageous. I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what you've done. I know what you're doing. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or afraid because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He was saying what he said to the disciples. He said, surely, in Matthew 28, I am with you always to the very end of the age. When he said to the one who is victorious, he's saying, you can do this. That statement, it's a statement of encouragement. He was in every time, every time, and each one of you, each one of you, he said, you can do this to each in each of the seven epistles, to each of the seven churches. This short six words, we see both how he approaches us in his love and we see what he expects of us. I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what you've done. I know what you're doing, but I love you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can do this. To the one who... Listen, he gives these examples. And I'm only going to give you four. I'm only going to give you four because there's seven. And it's time. He says, to the one who is victorious, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Verse 11 of the same chapter, to the one who is victorious, they will not be turned away, or, or I'm sorry, they will not be hurt at all by the second death. That was a church where people were threatened to death. Revelation 2.17, to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known by no one except for the person who receives it. Last one. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will ruin them, will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from, from my Father. So on and so on it goes for the entire group of seven. Now, some of those promises that I just read, if you go home and you read chapters 2 and 3, some of those promises are like, what? That doesn't mean anything to me. 
They don't have to mean something to you. It doesn't matter if they mean anything to you or not. He was speaking to them. They meant something to them at that time. What are your circumstances? This statement was true for the seven, and it's true for us, the one who is victorious. He encouraged the seven to repent if they needed to and hold on if they didn't. He's encouraging us to repent if and when we need to and hold on to the end if we haven't or if we don't need to. If we can do that, if we can do that, listen, he promises. His promises will come to pass for you and I as well. In the, he came to those seven churches and he said, I know who you are. He comes to you and I and says, I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what you've done. And I know what you're doing. But listen to me. If you've got ears to hear, if you can hear me, listen, because this is going to be really important. If you can overcome, if you can be victorious, I've got promises for you. We know how He approaches us. He approaches us through His love. We know what He expects of us to repent. Now we know what He's saying to us. You can be victorious. Remember. You said, but, but doesn't that just kind of leave me out there trying to work my way through my own problems? Isn't that kind of what it is? No. <laughs> Remember, verse chapter 1. I turned around. This is chapter 1, verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. What are the lampstands? Do we remember? The mystery of the seven stars that you saw. This is Jesus speaking. Mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. How do we work our way around these things and become victorious? Because he knows who we are. He knows where we are. He knows what we've done. And he knows what we're doing. So how are we to be victorious? Well, this is it. Rest in the reality that he's walking among you. He's among the lampstands. He's not off in his throne somewhere sitting down there looking at lampstands way down there. No, 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 no. The churches. He's among the churches. And he writes to the churches. And he tells them these things. And he says, if you have ears, listen. You can be victorious. Why? I'm here. Yes. Yes. Amen. All right. Look. I know this is an abrupt an abrupt end. I get it. You guys can come on if you want to. If you don't want to, come on anyway. Here's the thing. We all go through life, don't we? Life is what it is. And sometimes life is not a friend. 
it's not friendly. It would sooner kick you when you're down because you're shorter that way than when you're up. And he says, I know who you are. Who are we? We're his children. I know where you are. Where are we? The Bible says that we're under his wing, that we're in his hand, that he is at our right side is what the psalmist says. I know what you've done, and I know what you're doing. Fine, it's not pretty. That's okay. It's not pretty. You're people. I'm not. I'm God. What I do is pretty. What you do can really be a little sketchy sometimes. But that's why I'm here. That's why we have grace. That's why I came. That's why I died. That's why I was buried. And that's why I was rose again to make your ugly pretty. Through the grace of God. For God so loved the world. He so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. Who does that? Who does that? The Bible tells us explicitly that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And that like Zebulun and Naphtali, we were seated in darkness. We didn't care about God. We were lost. We were seated. We were comfortable. We were in darkness. We were unaware. And yet he comes while we're enemies with him, according to Romans. And he gives himself. Who does that? God does that. For God so loved the world. That's why. That's, that's how that works. Guys, listen. This idea that the devil floats around in front of us, that because we're not this image, this saintly, angelic, perfect image of, of, of the children of God that you look to and look up to, that's garbage. I know you. I know where you are. I know what you've done, and I know what you're doing. And you can be victorious. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Father, we love you. My word, we love you, Lord. Because your word sets us free. I'm sorry. If we are not reading your word, we're not getting this at all. And Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this forum where we come together and we get to hear the word. Not just from me, but from others. From Dr. Johnson, uh, from Bishop Buttrey, uh, uh, all kind of, from our bishop here, Brother Carrico, all kinds of preachers. Father, you bring your word in and you set us free. You enlighten us. And Father, I just ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would minister. And Father, I know you sow a lot of seed. And Father, according to that parable, a clear three quarters of that seed falls on bad, unyielding soil. Father, this morning I pray that that ratio is better here today. I pray that one quarter of this field is not the number that we have receiving your word. I pray, Lord God, that everyone receives your word, that your spirit haunts our spirits, stays with us, and gives us the good word of your, of your scriptures. Father, I pray this all in Jesus' holy name. 
that you would minister to each one who has felt dry bones in their lives. Father, that you would wrap flesh back around them and that you would encourage them and that you would minister to them in only a way that you can. Bring life. Breathe on them. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And that, Father, help us all to realize that despite the fact that you know who we are, where we are, what we've done, and what we're doing, Lord God, when some of those things are not pretty, you still say, if you have ears, listen closely, because you can still be victorious. And when you're victorious, I've got promises for you. Father, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Now, is there anybody in this house this morning who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you... Do you, everybody here, do you all know him? Because I'm telling you right now, you know about him. If you don't know him, you know about him because we celebrate things like Christmas and Easter. But that's not knowing him. You see, the only reason we can have a Christmas and an Easter and those kinds of things is because God so loved the world that he sent his son. And the only reason he sent his son is because the thing that he loved the most of his creative world was away from him and he wanted it back. And so he sent his son to open up the whosoever will clause. Not Santa Claus. The whosoever will clause. God so loved the world that whosoever will would not perish but have everlasting life. Mm, mm, mm. That's what he does. Is there anybody here that doesn't know him, that the Spirit of God is moving you to come and meet the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Anybody at all? I'm just going to wait for a moment, just for a moment. Anybody at all? All right. Father, I ask as we dismiss that you administer to this crowd, keep them safe, keep them healthy. Father, Bring the word of the Lord in the forefront of their minds. Let their actions and their speech be that of the Son of God. I pray as you transform us into the image of you. I ask all this in Jesus' name and you are dismissed. Thank you for being here.